All right, we're going to get right into the word. Um, uh, babe, you're awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I, there's so much that we wanted to share, but we got to keep it short because we got to we got to clear you out of here in about an hour, so we can have the the next service come in, right? Uh, but I'm just going to add uh, another announcement. If you uh, want to come to a hymn sing this Tuesday morning at 11 a.m., I'm going to be in the chapel with Pastor Wes and some people. We're going to have a good time singing uh, some songs that I grew up in. So, uh, is everybody welcome to that, or just old people like you and me, Pastor Wes? Okay. Pastor Wes at cafrederick.com, I think is what he just said there. <laughs> it's going to be a great time together. Hey, listen, in a few moments, we're going to be taking communion. So uh, some of you are watching us online. Now would be a good time. Go get some bread and some juice uh, because we're going to be celebrating communion here in just a little bit. We're going to be back in our series from the book of Joshua, uh, Possessing the Promise. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 4 today. Since you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. We took a one-week break from this series last week when Pastor Frank and Lisa Potter were here. Uh, they did a great job. He spoke about uh, more than. God has more than according to. It was a powerful word. If you missed it, you can go online and find that sermon. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 4 as we're resuming our series, Possessing the Promise. We believe that God has some promises for his sons and daughters. He always has more for you and I. And uh, just to kept, catch you up really quick, Joshua is the sixth book in the Old Testament. He's the new leader of Israel. He took over for Moses, who has since passed away. Moses uh, led the children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt. But because of the disobedience of that first generation, Moses and that generation were not going to be able to possess the promised land. It was going to take another 40 years after wandering in the wilderness. So Joshua, the new leader, is now going to be the one that's going to bring the nation of Israel into the promised land. And two weeks ago, if you were here, we studied the Jordan River, if you remember. It was overflowing. It was at flood stage. And uh, for them to possess the promise, they were going to have to cross the Jordan River. But the, the water was as deep as it could possibly be. It was the worst possible conditions to cross over. And that's exactly when God said, now I'm going to do the miraculous. It was incredible. We looked at how he, he, uh, he parted the waters just like he had done 40 years earlier when he had parted the Red Sea. Now he has parted the Jordan River, in fact, 20 miles upstream. And chapter 3 focuses on that miracle. Now, there's, there's more for them to do. Right? They haven't yet taken the city of Jericho. They haven't yet made inroads into deep within the promised land. Uh, but they have at least made it across the Jordan and into the land of promise. And we're going to be in chapter 4 today. There are some things that Israel needs to do before God takes them to and through Jericho. So we're going to pick up the narrative, pick up the story in Joshua Chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, it reads this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, 
go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Commanded, commanded them apparently, okay? Help me out, team. Delete one of those before first service, but commanded, commanded them. (laughs) That's the BF version, I guess. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Okay, a lot to unpack there, but let me pray for us real quick. Lord, we thank you for your presence, for your spirit that is here moving. You are a God who still parts waters. You are a God who still does the miraculous. You still move mountains, and you still speak. And I pray that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So 12 stones, 12 stones. The nation of Israel, they've, they've crossed the Jordan, they've crossed from, on dry land, and I imagine it took a while to get a few million people across that river. The priests, they're still standing in the middle of that riverbed. And before God would cause the, the waters to come crashing and flowing again, he commanded Joshua to have 12 men each take a stone from the riverbed. 12 memorial stones that would mark a place, a a memorial, an expression of God's faithfulness in their lives. Think about this. 400 years earlier, he made the covenant with their ancestor, Abraham. Now they've, they've been in Egypt for 400 years. They've been in the wilderness for another 40 years. And finally, God has come through with his promise. He has led them across the Jordan and into the promised land. And these stones, these 12 stones, would be a forever reminder to the people of Israel the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When the children would see this memorial, these 12 stones, they'd be like, hey, mom, dad, what's going on with those stones? What's up with that memorial? They could point to them and say, hey, son, hey, daughter, those stones represent God's faithfulness and his provision and his miracles that he performed, all in keeping his covenant with our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The memorial reminded them that God's presence was with them in the past so we can now have confidence that his presence will be with us in the future. How many understand that there's a difference between being stuck in the past and reflecting on the past? Right, right there's a difference between being, being stuck in apathy or, or reminiscing about the glory days. There's a difference between that and remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God. See, there are times when, when doubt will creep in. 
There, there are times when, when hope begins to fade, and those are the times that we really need to go back to the memorials in our life, the 12 stones. If his presence was with us then, his presence will be with us now. I've seen you move mountains, and I know you can do it again. Sometimes we need to take a trip down memory lane. I, uh, I have a confession. I like going down memory lane. Uh, my parents, they often watch uh, the first service as they're getting ready for their church there in Missouri. But uh, my, my father and I have taken actual trips down memory lane. We've, I've, I've flown out there, and we've driven from Missouri, which was most of my growing up years, and Oklahoma and Northeast Texas. And uh, there's just something that warms my heart as we drive down those country rural roads of Northeast Texas. And I hear my dad telling the stories of what life was like in the 40s and the 50s. He, he would tell stories of how he could look through the holes in the floor and he could see the dirt, the ground below him. He would show me the place where he had to go outside of his house to go what is called an outhouse because they didn't have indoor plumbing. He's taken me by the graveside of my, my grandparents and my great-grandparents. I've been able to see on my mom's side there in southeast Oklahoma, I, I've seen uh, the old country store that her grandparents used to run. And how once a week, they would take ice cream to my mom and her siblings. And it would be a, a great treat because they lived in a shack down by the creek with no plumbing, no electricity. And I just love hearing them tell the stories and there's even just a, a couple of pictures that they have from, from back then. They show me those old stories and, and, and tell me those, uh, those old stories and something in my heart just leaps because it, it grounds me. It, it provides me context for where we've come from as a family. Now, reminiscing for this generation looks quite a bit different, right? Now my kids, they, they grab my phone or mom's phone and they, they pull up the photos. I mean, mom's got like 12,000 phones or 12,000 pictures on her phone, right? Now reminiscing just means you cast your phone to the big screen and you just swipe left, right? But they like doing that. We do that on a regular basis. We'll look at some old pictures and old videos from when they were little and, and there's a few of when, when mom and dad were growing up. And I tell you, it's kind of funny to hear 12-year-old Benny talk about the good old days of mom and dad. You remember the good old days when we had cassette tapes, right? <laughs> right, the, the good old days with just three TV stations and, and tube televisions and corded phones. Those were the good old days, according to Benny. But uh, there's just something curious inside of us that wants to know where, where we came from. How we got to this place and what are the events and the miracles and the drama and the history attached to our family story. God put that curiosity inside of us. He created us with a desire to be rooted, to be grounded, understanding that we are only here because of those who have gone before us. And ultimately, we're only here because of God's providence, his faithfulness, his loving, miraculous hand. And that's something we should never forget. Deuteronomy is the book that's right before Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, 6, and 7 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy, God speaking through Moses, that this should be a part of our regular conversation. We ought to talk about God's standards. We ought to talk about his commands. We ought to meditate on them and rehearse them not only to ourselves, but to our children. So they too can protect and treasure God's glorious standards. There is danger in discarding the past. There is danger in disregarding a godly heritage. Throwing away morals and truth and reliance on God. I want to read you this morning an excerpt from a Christmas speech uh, from a very famous world figure. It underscores the importance of heritage and keeping deep spiritual roots that, that keep us grounded as we move forward. Here's part of that speech. It is inevitable that I should seem a rather remote figure to many of you a successor to the kings and queens of history, someone whose face may be familiar in newspapers and films, but who never really touches your personal lives. But now, at least for a few minutes, I welcome you to the peace of my own home. That it's possible for some of you to see me today because they're watching it on TV is just another example of the speed of which things are changing all around us. Because of these changes, I am not surprised that many people feel lost and unable to decide what to hold on to and what to discard. How to take advantage of the new thing and the new life without losing the best of the old. But it is not the new inventions which are the difficulty. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. They would have religion thrown aside, morality in personal and public life made meaningless, honesty counted as foolishness, and self-interest set up in place of self-restraint. At this critical moment in our history, we will certainly lose the trust and respect of the world if we just abandoned those fundamental principles which guided the men and women who built the greatness of this country. The speech goes on for a few more minutes, and it, includes, uh, it concludes with an excerpt from a quote from the book Pilgrim's Progress, and then a prayer of God's blessing for the new year. If you haven't yet figured out who was giving that speech, it was the first televised speech from the now deceased Queen Elizabeth from the year 1957, 65 years ago. Queen Elizabeth, she, she encouraged her people to hold on to the truths and the morals instead of throwing them aside. Don't discard, she says, the ageless ideas as if they were outworn old machinery. Now, she is saying that while simultaneously embracing new technology. She's giving her first televised speech to a camera on TV. Technology isn't bad. We're not saying that. She's not saying that. As long as we don't begin to think that we are better and we are smarter than those who came before us. See, some people think because they can check their messages on a device on their wrist or they think because they have Siri and Alexa 
at their disposal, that they are now somehow smarter and more advanced and more progressed than any other generation. They just dismiss and discard heritage. Yet reality has revealed that in our supposed advanced progressive wonderland, we find ourselves more divided, more toxic, more medicated, more needy, more coddled than any other previous generation. I'm just going to ask right now for an umbrella of grace. Can we do that today? (laughs) Today's morals and behavior only prove that we are not progressing. We are regressing with no regard for authority, no regard for manners, showing respect, having dignity. And you can forget memorials. Now now we are tearing them down in efforts to rewrite history. And many pretend that it's this generation that are the real history makers. Our self-serving, selfie-taking generation. We're the real history makers. One of the roles as a church and as a shepherd is to help us make sense of the chaos that's around us. Okay, so... Thank you for bearing with me here. The world, however, culture is shouting at us in every direction. They're stirring the pot in every arena of our lives. And Satan is doing all that he can to cast doubt on what absolute truth is. And the further we get down the road, the more that we cannot stay silent, we cannot stay neutral when it comes to things that are in direct opposition to God and his word and his standards. Activities and sin that that used to be prohibited and and done behind closed doors and and done in secret. Those activities are now celebrated. They're posted online for the world to see. Blatant sin, thievery, mocking, uh, sexual perversion, it's blasted everywhere. We can't even watch commercials anymore without having to cover our eyes. It's just being shoved down our face. Those things that used to be embarrassing at best and vile at worst are now glorified. The cultural pace setters are only interested in things that are shameless, debauched, wicked, immoral, perverted. And if you don't celebrate it, you're not only primitive and outdated, you are in the way of progress that you need to be removed. My question today is, what happened to the 12 stones? Where are all the monuments today? If we we ever think we've progressed past God and his word, we are doomed for a downfall. So let's be people of God who point back to the monuments. Let's be people of God who point back to his way of righteousness and his glorious standards. Let's be people who will hold the line of truth. Amen. Can I get a better amen, somebody? I'm kind of I'm out there today, and I just need to know that I got a little safety net, okay? okay thank you, thank you. People will say that, you know, you don't have to. We need to be people that say, you don't have to go that way. You can go a better way. Let me show you the way of righteousness. Let me show you the way of God. Let me show you real, authentic, absolute truth. 
Because embracing false realities, embracing false lives, accepting people's personal definitions of their truth doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help them, doesn't help us, doesn't help culture. It actually brings harm. We are not free when we participate in culture's definition of truth. However, we are free when we participate in God's definition of truth. Jesus said what? Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And by the way, we are to speak that truth with love, right? All right, so we're not going to get into shouting match, right? That's probably not going to win anybody over. So at Thanksgiving dinner this year, you do not have permission to be obnoxious to your family, okay? You are to be loving, we lovingly show people there is a better way. The Queen's speech was so beautifully stated. It was done with grace and dignity and love. We love people. In fact, I feel sorry for those. I feel badly for those who have been deceived. They've, they've fallen for the lies that God's standards on sexuality and marriage and morals is old and outdated. And they're missing out on God's abundant life that he has come to bring them. And what it does, it leaves an emptiness. It leads a void. There's a shallowness in their soul because they have been deceived into disregarding the monuments and the people of faith who have gone before us. Some of the most incredible people in this room are those that have gray hair and white hair and some no hair. I can see, right? I see some people with some no hair back there, right? There's wisdom represented in those gray hairs, right? There's experiences to be learned from them. We remember from the past so that we can better walk into our future. I'm believing that the generation coming behind me will go further, will possess even more promises than God has for you and me. And so I'm thankful for the men and women of faith that went before us. God parted the sea for them. He parted the river for them. And it's because of them that we are here today. It's because of the godly heritage I have from my parents and my great-grandparents that I am standing here today. The monuments, the stories, they serve to remind us of God's goodness, of his provision, of his power, of his strength, of his miraculous hand, and of course, of his incredible faithfulness. He is a good, faithful God. And may we never forget it. May we never forget his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness and his patience to his people. And may we remember to tell the generation lest they fall for Satan's counterfeit. Because he always comes with a counterfeit, doesn't he? He likes to stir, stir the pot. He brings uh, and causes uh, chaos and confusion, so much so that, that many people, they mistake wilderness living for promised land living. We gotta we got help, got help show the, the generation behind us there's a difference between wilderness living and promised land living. So let's keep telling them of the battles that God has brought us through. Let's keep telling them of the miraculous hand of provision. Let's keep declaring the goodness and greatness of our God. Now, we don't suggest that you get your advice from movies, uh, but you'll remember uh, the Lion King, okay? Mufasa said to Simba, remember. 
That's my best James Earl Jones voice that I have for you today. We are to remember. Jeffrey Hunt, he had a great, powerful voice. I should have had him do that. Remember. Before we take communion, I want to give us three things to remember as we take a trip down memory lane. I'm going to be really quick with these, I promise. Number one, we need to remember the victories. Let's remember the victories. Remember all the things that God has done for us and all the things he has brought us through. He doesn't cause us to stumble. God causes us to triumph. He causes his people to be victorious. And for the nation of Israel, a big victory had just taken place in the history of this nation. A monumental miracle, if you will, was performed on their behalf. Let's go back a chapter to Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, 16. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. This was an incredible event, right? One that you would think would never be forgotten. But God understands human nature. We are sometimes short-minded. We are sometimes forgetful from time to time, aren't we? And we'll, we'll not remember things uh, like we should, like a, a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of attitude. Right? Or sometimes we'll misremember the details. And we'll start to tell the story like, yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was us that helped cause that miracle. Right? And, and we'll misremember some details, beginning to think that maybe we're the source of the miracle. We're the ones that caused the Jordan River to, to, to part. Listen, Israel didn't cross the Jordan because they were all-powerful, but because God was all-powerful. We need to remember the victories. Number two, we need to remember the obedience. Israel experienced the miracle and blessing because they obeyed the commands of the Lord. It was when the priests obeyed and they had the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and they stepped into the water, that's when the water parted, when they obeyed the commands of the Lord. Back to Joshua 4, verse 8. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. You can see they're obeying things here. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the the memorial there. And check this out. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. There was such an emphasis on remembering here that Joshua actually had a second monument, a second memorial set up, right? The the second one was actually in the middle of the Jordan Riverbed. But Joshua and the priests and all of the children of Israel, they carried out all 
of God's commands. We have to remember to obey. Remember the obedience. Then thirdly and lastly, we have to remember to tell. Remember to tell. Let's pass it down to our sons and daughters, those stories of God's victories and miracles to to our kids and their kids and so on and so on. One of the cool things about this part of the country is all the monuments that we see. I mean, you you go on a hike, you walk downtown. Certainly there's a lot uh, in, in D.C. Many, many monuments and statues and memorials set up. And often when our kids are walking by them, they'll want to go up to it and read about it, learn about it. Hey, Dad, what's significant about that story? Tell me about that person. Tell me about that leader. There's something special about memorials that help us tell the stories of what has made it possible to get to where we are today. Monuments help us remember to tell the generations. Verse 21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were across, just as he had done at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so you might fear the Lord, your God, forever. Regardless of your age, regardless if you have children or grandchildren or not, let's be people who are quick to tell of the goodness of God. May his praise continually be on our mouths. Amen? Listen, God has much more for us. There are more promises for us to possess. There are Jerichos yet to be conquered. But he also invites us to take a trip down memory lane so we can be rooted, so we can be grounded, so we can show and tell the victories and the miracles his hand has provided. So let's you and I, let's, let's commit to be people who testify of the goodness and the greatness of God. It keeps us rooted and grounded and then then it prepares us to go to the next thing, the next level that God has for us because Jericho's coming in a couple of chapters. But first, we take a trip down memory lane. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes today. A sermon on remembrance is a perfect opportunity for us to remember what Jesus did. We're gonna take communion in just a moment. But before we do that, we wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. This this message has been a a little bit different today, but we want to give you an opportunity to know this Jesus, this God of the Bible. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've heard stories about him. Maybe as a child you grew up hearing your grandparents tell about this man named Jesus who came and gave his life for your sin. And the truth is, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us are sinners. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death and eternal separation from God. But it goes on to say, but the, the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sin demanded a payment. Somebody had to pay the penalty for our sin. In the Old Testament, they temporarily had their sins forgiven by the shedding of the blood of animals. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus, once and for all, became the ultimate sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin. And so today, if you want to accept Jesus to be the Lord of your life, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. No one's looking around. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to make him the the Lord of your life and have a brand new start, would you just raise your hand and, and hold it there for me for a moment? We're going to pray for you, lead you into prayer to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Now, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just say a simple prayer like this under your breath. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up and I've lived life on my own and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me of my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my salvation. I receive your free gift of grace into my life and from this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen, if you just made Jesus the Lord of your life, uh, there may be a host who has a bag in their hand that they're gonna find you and they're gonna put that bag in your hand. There's a Bible, there's a now what journal. And you can also, a couple of things, you can be baptized in a few weeks. That's what you need to do next. We wanna celebrate with you what God has done. And then you can also celebrate with us as we remember what he did for us as we take communion. So uh, you should have been uh, given a cup and a cracker on your way in. If not, there's some hosts who are looking. If you did not get one of these, just raise your hand and hold it there. Our hosts are gonna come by and find you. If you're watching online, now's a good chance, now's a good opportunity to, to grab that cup, to grab that bread. One of the last things Jesus did when he was here on this earth before he gave his life is he shared the Last Supper with his disciples. And he commanded them and subsequently he re, he, he's commanding us to remember what he did for us. To remember the sacrifice. To remember the broken body and the shed blood. To forgive your sins and my sins. Luke 22 tells us some of the events of that Last Supper. It was Passover. It was the Passover meal, and Jesus was sharing it with his closest friends. Luke 22, verse 19 says this, And he, talking about Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if we can just take that cracker from the bottom of your cup and let's take the bread together thank you for your broken body given for us may we never forget what you did for us Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, of my body given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Can we take the cup together and drink the juice? Now, if you can, let's, let's stand all across this room. Can we take just a moment and give him thanks? Give him praise. Remember what he did for us. Lord, remember, we remember how you brought us a mighty long way. Lord, we were slaves, maybe not in Egypt, but we were slaves to our sin, slaves to our shame, slaves to our, our guilt and our past and our yesterday. But you came with your mercy, with your grace, and made a way. You paid it all for our sin, for our redemption. May we never forget what you have done for us. We are a people filled with gratitude, filled with thankfulness for what you've done. We thank you, Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as... Sing it again if you know it. Jesus paid it all. Jesus all to him I owe, all to him. Sin had left a crimson stain, a crimson, but he washed it white. He washed it white as snow. Come on, are you thankful for what he's done? One more time, let's lift it up like we really mean it today. Lord, we remember, we celebrate. We thank you. We were once lost, but we are now found. We were blind, but now we see. We thank you, Jesus, and we will forever tell of the goodness and the greatness of our God. From generation to generation, we will tell of your victory, of your miracles that your loving hand has provided. Now let me pray for you before you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his countenance shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, we all said a great big amen. Amen. Hey, if you're new, I'll see you in the Welcome Center in just a few moments. God bless you. We'll see you next week.